Today's episode of No Dunks is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we are here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Add to your flash briefing on Alexa or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. I've been here before, baby, knowing that I'm in love. And I admit I want to say that you're the one. Good morning, sweet world, and welcome to the No Dunks Podcast on the Athletic Network. It's Monday, May 18th, and we're here to recap the final two episodes of the hit documentary series, The Last Dance. I'm J.E. Skeets, and joining us, thanks to the power of technology, Cass Millis. Ah, what are we going to do now? <laughs> we got the bearded one, Trey Kirby. Ayo! Ayo! The international man of mystery, taking it to the max, Lee Ellis. Friend! Lee Lee, and last but not least, making the magic happen, it's J.D. Hello! There he is, and here we are. Whoa, 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 count it up. Me... Tass, Trey, Lee, and JD. That's five guys. Who wants to go deliver a pizza, boys? <laughs> uh, yeah, we're breaking down the last two episodes here. Episode 9 and 10 of The Last Dance. Uh, we'll, we'll tackle this a little differently. We're just going to sort of lump those two episodes together, and then we can wrap up our final thoughts on the documentary series as a whole a little bit later on. But Tass, let's start with you. What was the biggest takeaway from the final two episodes of this 10-parter? Listen, I was going to go with the Black Jesus comment from Reggie Miller calling MJ Black Jesus. Why do you have to qualify it? Why can't he just be Jesus? He is the all-encompassing. He is the savior. He is the best basketball player in the world. And if you are any sort of casual basketball fan that didn't know MJ's story going into this documentary, you definitely think he's Jesus. Um, I, I do want to get to a little bit of that, that Pacer series in a sec. But you brought up the five guys delivering a pizza skeets maybe that whole ordeal is the biggest thing that i took away from it mj stating declaratively they delivered the pizza five of them and no one else touched the pizza not a single one of my friends had a bite of pizza has that ever happened to you have you ever been hanging with friends and you ate a whole pizza and no one even sniffed another slice i mean that that's i don't want to get into conspiracy theories but that part of it that's weird stuff. <laughs> well, isn't the actual story that MJ spit on the pizza so none of the other guys in the room could have a bite of the pizza? I'm not even kidding. I think that's the actual part of that story that because they left Because he was worried the, the other guys would get sick? No, because he was like, I want the whole pizza. Screw you guys. Michael Jordan. <laughs> but I, I'm, that's I'm also, dead serious. That's also another weird part. Why would you order one pizza? Whoever who orders one pizza? <laughs> yeah, well, they couldn't get anything else. Everything else was closed, wasn't it? Room service wasn't uh, open, and that was the only place that was open late yes, on the. So what? They only pizza? had one. Pizza? They only had one pizza left. <laughs> <laughs> Just one. I don't know. Um, I don't believe the poison pizza story very much, but I'll tell you, I was dying laughing when there's that shot of Jordan. He's just like. <sighs> I ate the pizza. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had to do it. Couldn't resist. Uh, but I love it. I love that they had, you know, 23 years uh, to come up with the perfect story, and they settled on five guys delivering a pizza and one man eating it. Yeah, so, I mean, what I don't get about the whole thing there is, first off, how come five guys are going there? So they must have known it was for Jordan. Like, what, surely one of the other guys would have ordered it. And then surely one of the other guys said, you know, I'll just wait in the lobby for the pizza, okay? Yeah, no worries. Go down there. Great, thanks. Like... Mm -hmm. Whenever does someone just go, all right, guys, this is Jordan. Let's all go and deliver the pizza here. And I think Tim Grover was saying like they were sort of trying to peek into the room to see if it was of course. him. It's like, yeah. it's like that just doesn't make sense at all that that would have happened. But yeah. I mean, yeah, it's also it makes it more conspicuous if five guys are delivering the pizza. If you're going to try and, and get the guy sick, I don't think exactly. you want don't want to bring attention to the five guys delivering. the. But I do. They did used to deliver to the doors of hotel rooms, oh, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. That's 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 something that doesn't happen anymore, but yeah. it used to happen back in 1998. Yeah. So so Trey, or you're seven, skeptical that the, that PizzaGate actually ever happened. What well, what do you think? How do you think it really went down? Was he just hung over? Yeah, that's what would be my <laughs> guess. I mean, yeah, maybe they ordered a pizza, and maybe only Michael Jordan was the one who ate the pizza. But if you're up late at night, why are you ordering a pizza? You know. 
What else could you be doing in that room if there's a bunch of guys just hanging out? Maybe partying a little bit, Michael Jordan? Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of questions left unanswered with Pizzagate, no doubt. Like, you guys are bringing them up. Why the five guys? I mean, what was the name of the pizza joint? Is it still in existence? What did they even put on the pizza, mm-hmm. um, you know, to make him sick, but for him not to see it? Uh, you know, like, what, what what did they use? How have none of these guys, these five guys, maybe there's even more back at the pizza joint, Nobody came forward. Nobody said, uh, ha that was me. Um, that seems, I don't know, that seems a little weird too. But look, whether it was, he was hungover, whether it was uh, the flu, whether it was food poisoning, no doubt that guy was sick as hell during that game five. Um, and that I love that one powerful shot of Jordan on the bench with the towel over his head, like just looking like death. Um, you know, he, was not, he wasn't acting uh, by any means. The guy looked ghastly sick um but still scored 38 points in 44 minutes mm. it yeah, was hilarious strange this... line from jerry sloan at the end who's like he, he was sick yeah <laughs> i had no idea because you can't really tell except for there's that play where jordan's kind of weaving through traffic uh on a fast break he dishes it to pippen pippen goes up with a layup and he misses the layup jordan follows with a tip dunk and he just celebrates by like his body just hits the ground he's like Ooh. you know like there's no celebration to it at all it's an nba finals dunk and he's just like I must, I must dunk. Yeah, and I had forgotten about how that MJ3 got set up with under a minute left when he's at the free throw line and is way short on it, somehow grabs the rebound himself, and then the ball gets into Pippen in the post, and Jeff Hornacek is guarding him, and they double, and MJ is just one pass away for an open three-pointer. It just seems strange to me that they would double down there and leave MJ open and hit a big three with 40 seconds left, and that's the shot where afterward he falls into Scottie Pippen's arms. You can't leave that dude open. And, uh, yeah, I just I just had forgotten how the um, the fall into Pippen's arms, that classic shot happened, but that was, that was weird. A missed free throw, and the, and the Jazz can't come up with it, and all that talk about championship DNA and finishing series... I mean, that shined through in, in, on that play and then in a bunch of other plays. Yeah, we got a lot of basketball in these last two episodes. JD, I'm sure you were not a fan of that. I found myself <laughs> drifting away at, at, at points of it, but there were other points where I was quite literally on the edge of my seat, especially the Reggie shot. Um, this was Stan Van Gundy's favorite episode because they literally told the story while the ball was in the air. And uh, I was not aware of that story at all. And uh, I enjoyed it. It was, so you, uh, it was exciting, but uh, I, it was very basketball heavy two episodes. And I, I did find myself sort of just staring off into space, you know, I mean, I enjoyed it, but it was just, it was, I was, I was, I was being a real Matt Austin going, this could be two episodes short of this whole thing. But, you know, I mean, but I, but again, I, I, I did enjoy it. Lee, I'm sure you're the exact opposite. Just loving seeing all these series. Yeah, the Reggie versus Jordan beef and them going back mm-hmm. and forth. And then, of course, uh, you know, the two finals versus the Jazz. What was your biggest takeaway, I guess, from well, these episodes? The, the biggest takeaway is, uh, you know, Indiana had chances against the Bulls and the Jazz had a million chances to, to win games. And they couldn't do it and they couldn't close them out. And I think when you look back at it, you know, uh, the Jazz were a great team. And the fact that they, uh, again, continually made sort of the wrong mistake at the wrong time. I was surprised um, when they showed us game one of the 97 finals, we didn't see Carmelo missing those two free throws. I thought that was huge for the story. Mm -hmm. The fact that he had a chance to put them two points up, even one point up, and he missed both of those. And then Jordan goes and ices the game. So it just felt like there were so many little moments like that. Tass already mentioned there that the missed free throw and they didn't get the rebound. It leads to a three pointer by Jordan I mean that's a huge huge moment there um, so there was all those things there. and then that that Pacers series uh, was pretty incredible because I, I actually forgot I thought that was Reggie one was game uh, six but of course um, it was game four where he hit yeah. that big three um, and then and and the Larry Bird reaction I thought was just beautiful and David Aldridge summed it up in a tweet today saying you know like the greats know that even though Reggie hit that incredible shot, the game wasn't over because Larry knows if he was on the other team, he could have hit a shot still to win that game. And Jordan almost did. Oh, you know, that it, thing. It, oh, that thing oh, goes around the rim. That's a real yeah. dunny ball there. Yeah. Oh, it's a real dunny ball. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> you know, I, I sort of, I forgot that that was game four. And I mean, just how close that, that could have been to a three, one lead there for the bulls. Instead it goes two two, and uh, you know, the 
Bulls obviously close it out, but Game 7 is also another game where the Pacers had chances to win and it came down to about six minutes to go when uh, when I think the Bulls got a five-point lead and, and Reggie was kind of saying, oh, well, that was it. We were, we were done yeah. there. I mean, yeah, Reggie Miller calling it with six <laughs> minutes to go after uh, Rick Smith couldn't win a tip was yeah, a yeah. little weird to me, but okay. Well, oh, Reggie yeah. went scoreless for the last 16 minutes of Game 7, so yeah. he probably lost track at that point. It was 10 minutes into his scoreless streak in the biggest game of his career. Ooh. I mean, those yeah. games, so many of those games were tight, you know, 85, 83 and things like that. So, those, you know, it felt like it was a oh, bigger that's margin. True. That's true. Yeah. A five or six point lead yeah. in these games is like 20. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, but you know, it just just again, the, 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 the fact that Jordan just always came through on top is pretty remarkable, really. Um, you know, oh, that yeah. he never, there was not one time where things just didn't seem to go his way. I mean, even, even in, in, you know, a game uh, six in 98 where he makes a steal off Carmel I mean, he could have fouled him. What if Carl Malone just hesitated for a second, then he goes inside and scores? I mean, there were so many of those, you know, almost sliding door moments that always seemed to go Jordan's way and the Bulls' way. And uh, it's, it's incredible to watch it back just to see how close it was to, uh, you know, them being losing a game or one of those series. Yeah, there's the big jump ball against Rick Smith, which is a play you wouldn't expect for a 6-6 guy to win. There is the steal against Carl Malone. There's an offensive rebound against the Pacers. Jordan is obviously known as a scorer. We've heard Channing Fry say that all he did was score, but you see all of these clutch plays he's making on the defensive end of the court or even just something simple like a jump ball, and you realize in an 85-83 to game, those really, really matter. Yeah, that was weird, the, the jump ball situation, because what they showed us underneath the hoop when Reggie Miller was commentating about it's a three-point game, we have a jump ball situation. If we go down and, and score, it's, we're up five, and we we think we're, we're sailing. We're good at this point. They showed the two guys jostling for the ball. It was Rick Smith and Michael Jordan. And the guys who jump balled were Rick Smith and Luke Longley, the, both the centers. I was confused by that, who was in the jump ball situation. And, yeah, Smith's got his hand on the ball in the jump ball, but it was up against Luke Longley and ended up tipping it directly to the to the bull. So confusing, really confusing. Yeah. Who, who yeah. had the ball there? Did they just somehow squeeze in Luke Longley into the jump ball? Or, or maybe, we didn't, maybe we didn't see the exact play, because I do think there was some... Some cut it is MJ uh, in the jump ball in in real life. I don't know how it cut through, but it's definitely Jordan. Oh, yeah. Well, that, what are you that, doing, Rick yeah. Smith? Uh, you <laughs> yeah, got exactly. you you, you <laughs> exactly. to win that sucker. And yeah, I totally Rick Smith had a tough game seven. He also was out-rebounded yes. by Judd Bushler. Basically, they just didn't forgive Rick Smith the ball, and he kind of faded from that game. He was dominant in game six. I think he went 11 for 12, and the yeah. Pacers mm-hmm. smashed yeah. the Bulls. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's trouble um, it's, with some bigs, but when you double down and you steal that ball, my God, that steal. I mean, that's again, we've talked about it before, but MJ's obviously sealing his career. Forget about the Wizards, sealing his career <laughs> with that shot, but everybody forgets about the other side of the floor when he, he gets that steal. And so, yeah, people making comments about him being just a scorer, it is good to see the defense and the scrambling and the toughness on the other end, too. Yeah, and I, and like, I would just add to that, I love it because it. Yeah, it's not just the scoring. It's all these, like, I want it a little bit more than you, uh, even though I've played 45 minutes and we're at the 47th and 48th minute of this game and everybody's exhausted and it's the end of the year, but I still have a little bit left in the tank and I just want it. And I think that pairs perfectly with what we know of Jordan and his late-night escapades, right? Like, (laughs) you can just see, like, if we're all sitting down playing poker or playing cards with Jordan, it's like somebody's, like, you know, like, looking at their watch, like... All right, it's like three, man. Maybe we should call it, you know? And he's like, you just. Order can... a pizza. Yeah, exactly. You just can hear him saying, no, no, we're playing again because he just lost a bad hand or he like didn't like how that one shook out. No, no, we're going till. We're going later. And you're just like, oh, God damn it. Like, I just want to go to sleep. Uh, but he, he's just. He is a vampire or whatever. He just. He doesn't. He's not human in that regard. That, that, that's the part that does stand out, both on the floor and obviously off the floor. Are you saying uh, it's the team that wants it a little bit more is funny hearing Reggie Miller going into Game 7 saying, you know, Game Seven's anything can happen. It comes down to the team that wants it a little bit more. <laughs> and uh, I guess they didn't want it a little bit more. What also <laughs> what also has to happen is you have to make some plays down the stretch and uh, hit some big shots. And, and then Reggie, you know, is basically saying championship DNA came into play, which I think is a better you know, quick summary reasoning of what the heck happened for a lot of teams going up against the Chicago Bulls. 
Yeah, my big takeaway from these two episodes, these last two episodes, and it's something we've already talked about uh, throughout this series, and I've seen a lot of people write about it today. I saw Ziller and Ashburner, but it is this idea of like, the man, what if? And did the Bulls, they deserved a shot at number seven or to try and like four-peat in this second three-peat. And we get, you know, the uh, this idea of like, that Reinsdorf and Jordan had never truly talked about why it ended the second three-peat. Um, and we're, you know, great job by the director here to straight up ask Jerry Reinsdorf, like, why? Why did you, the front office, break up this squad that had won six championships in eight years? And he gave us an answer. And his answer was uh, basically, you know, the market value for like Pip and Rodman and Kerr and Harper just would have been far too much. And we would have been stuck with all these contracts and sunk. And, you know, he's like thinking like too many years ahead. And they show this to Jordan. They do the classic iPad move again. And, and he's like, you know, he calls bullshit on it um, and says like, I don't know. I think he basically says like, I wish we could have tried it. And we should have had that right to try it and bring the band back together for one more. You know, it fills in. And we got this weird compressed 50-game schedule. And then the big question mark is whether Pippen would even still say, like, could you get all the other guys? Yeah, probably. Is Jordan there? Yeah, okay. If Phil's there, yeah. But would Pippen? And then then that becomes such an ultimate crazy what-if to me. If somehow all these other Bulls basically come back after they, they beat the Jazz for the second time, but Pippen leaves... Because I love what I love about that is like, would Jordan at that point in his career still be able to lead that team, obviously deep into the playoffs, maybe to the possible another championship without Pippen, right? Because we saw Pippen really play without Jordan mm. and, you know, was damn talented, top MP, top three in MVP, some success there, obviously in the playoff series, some, some drastic mistakes that he made. But could Jordan have replicated that or done him one better? I just love that what if. Because um, yeah. I don't think Pippen would have stayed, actually. Well, it, I think uh, I think if all of them came back, including Phil, then they might have been able to persuade Scotty somehow to come back to just go for oh, it for seven. There's a seven, lot eight. of money the Rockets were throwing I, at him. I know, I, I understand that, but but the opportunity to go for four in a row. But but I also what I took from that as well is is Jordan. You know, like he leaves with this perfect legacy, six and zero, oh, and and everyone's that's sort of what is really keeps him at the number one you know yeah. rating, I guess, for everybody. Like perfect in the finals, but it's almost like Jordan was prepared to go out by getting beaten by someone rather than yeah, have this yeah. what if. And, and that sort of, I sort of, I was a little surprised to hear it, but then I guess that's his competitive nature that he respects the fact that if someone was going to beat him, then good on you. You, you go on and deserve the, to win that championship. So that, that to me, having seen it again last night, I think Jerry Reinsdorf looks pretty bad because it like, <laughs> it's like, you, you're you idiot, you idiot. You should have at least given them a chance <laughs> because um, if they had done it, if they had won four in a row and seven out of nine, I mean, that would just be incredible. But even if they hadn't done it, at least Jordan could have, I think, would have graciously said, okay, our time was up, our run was over, and we're done, mm-hmm. um, rather than rather than this question now of like, man, what could have happened? Which is what would have happened. I mean, of course, because it was that crazy lockout season, so things were different. But I, I now feel really cheapened that uh, we didn't get a chance just to see. I, I do. I, I never right, really even have if felt they, that. Even if they lose to the Spurs yes. in a finals, like we've or talked about. Or the Knicks or, or the yeah, Pacers I mean, again, whoever. It doesn't, it doesn't matter because Jordan understood on his way up you know, he had to beat the Pistons and had to knock them out and he had to dethrone them. And finally, when he did, then he was uh, on his way to becoming a champion. And I think he would have at least given that same respect to a team that would have defeated him and knocked the Bulls out and then gone on to perhaps win a championship themselves. So, yeah. Maybe. yeah. I was just watching the uh, the jump ball that did in the Pacers. Had to watch it again and again and again. It was MJ and Rick Smith's in there. Mm-hmm. The, the, just the way they framed it made it seem like Luke Longley jumped for the ball because you don't really see MJ even jump because Rick Smith is 10 inches taller than he is. <laughs> uh, but Jordan, some nice gamesmanship just to throw his body into Rick Smith's at the jump ball there. Kind of threw off the, the Duncan Dutchman, I think, and that's that's why they <laughs> won it. But it was a very gracious... Um, honoring a, of a jump ball to, to the, the Bulls there because really MJ kind of had his fingers on it but Rick Smith's really had the ball <laughs> anyways some great stuff just reliving games from 20 years ago Trey what was your uh, big takeaway we, you know besides talking about pizza and, and talking maybe about Reggie versus Jordan <laughs> was there anything else I mean, those were the big ones to me. I love to see such a long breakdown, basically, of the Pacers series because that is one of the most memorable Bulls series of either of their championship runs. And, yeah. you know, I think to a T, the Bulls' second three-peat says that that was the closest they ever were to losing, the hardest series they ever played. So I, I love to see an actual, you know, we saw 
chunks of most of the seven games, I would say. So that was that thought that was really fun. And you know, I'm gonna love an episode, no doubt, where Reggie Miller and Carl Malone are just taking loss after loss after <laughs> loss. That was tremendous. I mean I can remember how upset I was when Carl Malone got the ninety seven MVP. I've hated the Jazz since that day. I hated Brian Russell because he had a shaved head and he thought he could guard Michael Jordan. Um you know and now to that day to this day it uh, it colors the way I look at Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell, right? I'm like <laughs> oh, man, that Brian Russell. Who does he think he is to pretend like he's Michael Jordan? I guess I got to hate the Jazz for the rest of my life. But <laughs> I have. Same with the Pacers. Uh, so, yeah, this was a, a huge episode for me. And I was even happy to see people make the turn on Jerry Reinsdorf because yeah. once he said that about the market value, it was really putting into words what everybody has felt about Jerry Reinsdorf in Chicago forever that he cheaped out. That's why Horace Grant left the Bulls. He was obviously cheap with uh, Scotty Pippen. And then it really ended the dynasty, not just because Jerry Krause wanted to rebuild, but Jerry Reinsdorf wanted to rebuild too, because to him, only Michael Jordan was worth over $30 million. You know, I'm not going to pay Scotty Pippen $10 million because maybe he won't be worth that at the end of his contract. But those yeah. things pay off, right? Kobe Bryant got a huge contract that he wasn't worth. And suddenly that's a place that superstars want to go because they take care of superstars. That didn't happen with the Bulls. We've seen how that has played out. I thought it was a hilarious ending and the Bulls started to rebuild. And even Laura said, and they're still rebuilding. Yeah. I was like, oh my goodness. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe you run into a scenario in, you know, the 2000, 2001 season, you're paying Ron Harper a lot more than you want and your team is terrible. Guess what? Your team was terrible in 2001 anyways. Yeah. Wouldn't it have been fun to at least have a chance at a seventh title? But that's how it was with the Jerry's. Yeah, you sound yeah you sound a little vindicated that uh, it wasn't just Jerry Krause catching bullets here. Um, it, Reinsdorf got some, especially in these last two episodes. It sounds like absolutely. I yeah. remember when the Chicago White Sox won their title in 2005. He said that meant more to him than six Bulls titles in the 90s. <laughs> Nobody understood what that could possibly have meant. Like yeah. the Bulls put you on the map, man. I know you're a baseball guy, but the Bulls put you on the map. Um, so yeah, that that really flashed me back to uh, freshman year of high school. Yeah, somebody deliver that guy a pizza and tell him. <laughs> <laughs> Five of us show up. Hey, Jerry, we got something for you. Yeah. Um, one thing we got in episode nine, uh, I think it was episode nine. I know they sort of blend together and we're doing that here on this one. But um, Steve Kerr's story, right? Because we've gotten a lot of the stories from some of these other you know, instrumental players in the uh, six championships. Pippen, of course, and Rodman and um, you know, Phil Jackson. Uh, Kerr got his moment here in this, uh, you know, as John Paxson 2.0. And uh, I, I thought this was really well done. I don't know how many people know sort of Steve Kerr's story and the assassination of his father. Um, I thought it was fascinating that, you know, the, the director, Jason here, just straight up asked him, did you ever discuss your father's? Um, asking Steve Kerr, um, to, you know, whether he had done that with MJ and, and the way his father was killed too. And I guess the answer was no. Um, and it was probably just going to be too emotional and too powerful for both of them to ever broach that. But I don't know. What'd you think of that, Lee? The, the Steve Kerr little side story that we got here. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, because of how it sort of encompassed the whole Steve Kerr story with his relationship there with Michael, the fact that, you know, they didn't sort of get along, but they built things up over time. And then Jordan trusted him with the last shot. I think showing a little bit more about Steve Kerr's life was was relevant there. Mm -hmm. um, pretty emotional. And, and uh, you know, uh, Steve's mum also uh, spoke on it, um, you know, and so it was obviously pretty tough for them to all talk about and, re and relive that moment. Um, but yeah, I, I thought uh, it was it was good because again, Steve Kerr, you know, he was not exactly a, a walk on anywhere. He struggled to to get recruited out of college. He struggled with the girls, as he mentioned there as well. Um, <laughs> But he scrapped and fought Do for everything. Do you believe that, Lee? He had those beautiful blue <laughs> eyes, that sandy blonde hair. Yeah, no, I, I don't believe it at all. He, you're right. He's an athlete as well. I mean, <laughs> yeah, again. Yeah, like he's tall. I, I, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, he did all right for himself. But um, no, I, I just think, you know, and then and then seeing, of course, Jordan trusting him to take that huge, huge shot in game six of the 97 finals where Steve Kerr, you know, is like, yep, yep, I'm ready, I'm ready. And he oh, steps that up. shot was so funny. Yeah. Where, and Kerr's talking about them on the bench. Like, Jordan's trying to be all sly, like, you yeah. know, talking out the side of his mouth over his Gatorade cup. And, like, that, Steve's like, I'll be ready, man. Yeah, I'll yeah. be ready. I was dying. I mean, that, that, is, that, is, that is a very important shot, I think, because Jordan knows the camera is there. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, and, and Steve steps up and, uh, and drains it. And, you know, so it was, it was a good story. And, again, it just shows how Steve Kerr really embraced his role on that team and understood what was expected 
expected of him because he had a terrible game. I think it was in game... Uh, where was it now? I can't remember. It might have even been that game where he, we couldn't, he couldn't make a shot. But he, anyway, in the crunch time when he was trusted by Michael and he'd earned that trust over years because they, they had such a, a tense relationship at the start, Michael trusted him. He goes out there and knocks it in. And, uh, and I think that, you know, I, I use Steve Kerr as an example a lot that a lot of guys should aim to be like Steve Kerr in the NBA, you know, because you can be a very successful player if you embrace that role and play it to the best of your ability. Not everyone can be LeBron or Michael. But a yeah. lot more people could be closer to someone like a Steve Kerr. And, um, you know, I thought, uh, as always, Steve Kerr speaks very, very well. You know, he's, he's a very uh, classy individual, speaks well, and, um, you know, he's an intelligent guy. Self-deprecating, and, yeah. Yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't try to take too much credit, but he also understands that, um, you know, he can deliver in, in those big moments too. Yeah, I was I so loved- happy that they showed his speech from the championship rally because I'm watching yeah. this and I'm, I mean, they've showed that clip so many times of him saying, I'll be ready, I'll be ready. I'm thinking, you got to show the championship rally. Are they going to show this? <laughs> and yeah, they did. And what a great line to actually be memorable at a championship rally and to get placed ahead of Jordan in there. I thought that was awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, did I you mean- ever go to those rallies, Trey? No, I was I was too young to have Sally Kirby driving down there and battling through the millions of people down in Grand yeah. Park, unfortunately. Oh, right. yeah, those looked incredible. Those looked wild. Um, I love some of the never-before-seen footage we had in these last two episodes. Um, one, somebody already slipped it in there. The exchange between Larry Bird and Michael Jordan. Um, any exchange between the star players like while they were doing their press conference like swap-overs mm. was so cool. And so unique, um, and stuff I've never seen before. Maybe you, got, I think I'm, I'm correct in that. I think that's the actual footage from them following around the '98 Bulls. I loved Carl uh, Malone going on the bus to congratulate yeah. the Bulls. That was pretty cool to see. The Rodman sneaking out of the arena for you know to not have to address the media after he missed practice to go on WCW you know WCW <laughs> Nitro with the whole like that whole thing was amazing never seen any of that before and then uh, the final one is uh uh, post-title, the hotel scene where MJ, like, getting, <laughs> getting into the hotel is pretty amazing, like that footage, and then, of course, him in the hotel room playing the piano uh, extremely poorly. I, know, yeah. I bet you Tass is already better at the piano than MJ was. <laughs> uh, but all these guys just, like, hanging out, like, yeah, MJ, you're, you're tickling the ivory, man, you're killing it. Oh, that's, like, all that before, the never-before-seen stuff, I just... I was loving it. I loved all of that yeah. stuff. Yeah, it's um, very funny because there's that practice scene earlier in the episode where Jordan's like, yeah, I woke up this morning, had a few beers, had a cigar, played the piano, came to practice. And you're like, what are you talking <laughs> yeah, about? This guy yeah. can play piano too. And then they show him win a championship and he's just a kid smashing his hands <laughs> on a piano. That yeah. uh, that Dennis Rodman stuff though, I mean, that is just mind boggling really. Oh. The fact that he had an unexcused absence went wrestling in the middle of the finals. I mean, there is no way that would happen today. There is just no way in the world I can see. Even the most craziest guy like a J.R. Smith, I can't see anyone just saying in the middle of the finals, I'm just going to go wrestling. I'm not telling anybody. And everyone's kind of okay with it in the end, you know, like because he turned up and had a great game in game four. Yeah, yeah. Um, but just the fact that he did it is unbelievable. And Hulk Hogan's making jokes about it too on yeah. the on the telecast saying, ah, oh, you don't have to go to practice or whatever. <laughs> um, I, I, I mean, I remember it and, and I know what happened, but watching it, I'm just like, imagine trying to put that into this, into context today. You know, imagine, you know, like, like a, a Clay Thompson was all of a sudden just out in the middle of the finals, you know, doing something crazy like that. It just, it's just staggering to think that Rodman was okay, thought that would be okay and that no one would really care about it. That, well, did they care about it? They're I mean, breaking practice the next day saying one, two, three, Rodzilla. And Jordan's yeah. just like, hey, Rodzilla, hey, Rodzilla. <laughs> yeah. Did they care at all? I mean, I don't think and, so. and again, and again, Rodman went out and played an incredible game in game four. So, and, and he said that going back to the last um, the last episode where he was in Vegas and he came up. And when he turns up, he, he's performing. So he's ready. So they've sort of seen it before from him that when he's on the court, he performs. It just, um, just the fact that he apparently didn't tell anybody. He was just off, and he just went <laughs> off. They, they just turned on the TV, and there he was throwing a uh, whacking diamond. Who was it? Diamond, diamond Dallas, Dallas Page. Page. Yeah, yeah, with, with the, the chair shot. <laughs> yeah, it's like Phil Jackson definitely. He yeah, he says no. It wasn't. We didn't say he could go, but he just yeah. did it. But then he's also like, 
No, you, the media, you're making yeah. a big deal of it. No, we don't care. <laughs> He'll be here for game four. I mean, we honestly don't. Like, it's not no, no, like no, he's I mean, maybe a little upset because he's like, I guess you're putting, you know, the individual before the team a little bit. But then again, you show up and ball out. Now, that was between games three and four, right? Is yes. That, yes. So, they it were is up, fu- yeah. It is funny because that's after the, the blowout game, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, points. Yeah. So... I don't know. It's just funny to think, like, if it's not a blowout or, I don't know, even if the Bulls lose that game, like, does Rodman still go and do that? I mean, yeah, I, 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 well, I, I doubt he would have done it if they're down 2-1 in the series myself. But but I sort of, I'm not convincingly, uh, like, yeah. saying that I doubt he would do it. He may still. But I guess when they're up then, yeah. 2-1, 42 points, he's like, we're going to win this series anyway. Um, but but again, once he goes out and performs, that story just goes away, kind of, because it's like, well, it's really hard to criticize him when uh, when he shows up. I mean, he was coming off the bench anyway in that series. Not that that you know, I mean, he still was still still playing big minutes and had a big role, but uh, you know, he performed. So I guess no one really could say anything to him. Yeah, and he's also taking the lead of their best player, who also tended to yeah, yeah. go play go hit Atlantic City and go mm-hmm. hit. So I that's mean, true. They, they were like minded in that, and they and and Phil Jackson was always suggesting encouraging guys to go hang out with Dennis Rodman. Steve Kerr told a story about that where him and Judd Bushler went and uh, had, a, had a huge night together. Um, they got absolutely obliterated uh, once upon a time. And uh, because Phil Jackson thought, hey, we're losing Dennis. He's drifting from the group. Here I'm quoting uh, Steve Kerr here. And I need you guys to go out with him tonight to keep him company. So Steve Kerr said, being the selfless teammates that Judd and I are, we obliged. We went from Philadelphia (laughs) after a game to Atlantic City on a bus with a huge painting of Howard Stern on the side. (laughs) Dennis and 15 of his friends. We were down there all night and came back just in time for practice the next day. And yeah, that that, that somehow reeled uh, Dennis Rodman back in. And yeah, they definitely showed that he had a good game in game four. I don't know his, his stat line, but... Seemed like he got a lot of rebounds. Six, six points, fourteen rebounds. Yeah, so. that sounds like a Rodman game. Yep, exactly. That's right on, right on par with what he would do in a finals or in any game, really. Uh, I thought from that that whole final, you know, uh, championship run against the Jazz, the second one, uh, I I I remembered that Pip was hurt, right? Like I, I like going back to the moment, knew that was a thing. Obviously, they're addressing it on the broadcast and all that. But I, the way they told that story in this doc. Um, you know, was so well done. I thought like just the footage of really seeing Pip not being able to move. I mean, he had like a pinched nerve or pinched back. Mm. Like you, you could just see like anytime he landed and he tweaked it right off that dunk off the first play of that game. Um, it just makes that crazy game six even, even more impressive. What Jordan did when you pair it with, Oh yeah, this other, one of the greatest players of all time. I mean, he can barely be out there. He's out there and he's sucking it up, but um, it, you're going to have to do everything, man. Uh, did you remember just how tweaked and messed up that back was, Trey, of Pippins? Oh, yeah. I've watched Game 6 quite a few times. So, you know, you see him on that very first play. He's wincing, and he's yeah. into the locker room, and he's back. And then he's back to the locker room. I didn't remember Carl um, Malone and Dennis Rodman slapping each other's butts. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I remember them, you know, tussling quite a few times and falling down to the court, but I didn't remember the butt slaps, but I was happy to see that. But, yeah, you saw, heard in... Post game, Jordan's like, yeah, I was ready to play 48 minutes. Didn't expect it to be without Scottie Pippen, uh, but still, I was ready to do it. And I, I remember being just as impressed hearing him say it last night as I was when it happened back in the day. It was funny a couple of times, you know, just like he could barely even get his feet off the ground. You oh, know? Yeah. He was sliding sort of up there. But but he came yeah, out like and he, actually, he was like shuffling, yeah. Yeah, shuffling, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Uh, but there were a couple of times as well where he had the mismatch on, on Hornacek or Stockton and yep. he just sort of got the ball and, and flicked it in. And, um, I mean, those were huge points. Again, in the context of the score of the game, uh, th- those were pretty incredible. And even, even just the way they said, they basically had to give him almost five-minute intervals of pain relief so they could get him out there to play. I mean, that that's pretty dangerous, really, when you think that what a guy's dealing with there with a back injury. But, um, you know, in that moment, because I wonder if there was a Game 7, if he would have even been able to play in that. Huh. You know, that's, uh, that's, that's another sort of what if. But uh, obviously they didn't need it. But, um, yeah, like, oh, when you see a guy just shuffling like that, you're like, oh, my God, he must be just in excruciating discomfort. Yeah, and yeah, you said it there, Lee. Tass, you must have been loving those dinkers and dumpers he's still throwing <laughs> up there with the tweak back because he did have a couple little hook shots in there. Yeah, that's 
That's exactly what they were, and I guess that's why they doubled him at the end of uh, the flu game the year before, 97, because he had Scott Hornacek, or Scott Hornacek, Jeff Hornacek on his back, and Scotty Pippen. Uh, yeah, he's just, he really just turned around, and it's not that pretty, um, but he knows he's taller than Jeff Hornacek and was able to just chuck it in. And this was these were the first episodes, I think, because I just said Scott in reference to Scott Pippen, uh, where we finally got MJ calling Scotty Pippen something other than Pippen or, or Scotty. Like, he finally gave him a nickname. He started calling him Pip. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and was desperate. I was in desperate need of MJ showing some affection uh, <laughs> to Scotty Pippen. Now it, now it came. Now, now it's here. Pip. I thought, I thought you were going to say it was also, the, I thought the first time that MJ called Scott Burrell just Scott. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he didn't do the, the full name on, on Scotty or Scott Burrell there. Yeah, he calls him just Scott near the end. But manages to, manages to still rip on him. <laughs> yeah. For no real apparent reason. <laughs> um, JD, did you have a, you know, a favorite moment from these last two or anything else you wanted to discuss from these? Uh, well, a couple of random points. Um, they, uh, at the beginning of the episode nine, there was that angry woman, the Pacer fan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Anybody else get a, a strong Renee Young vibe from her? Because wow. I was like, wow, that is, li- it's like Renee Young from WWE is screaming at me right now. And uh, it was, it was like, uh, it, it kind of freaked me out a little. Another weird, uh, and a weird vibe I got. Um, anybody else? get a strong Leon Black from Curb Your Enthusiasm vibe from Dennis Rodman when he was talking about the <laughs> the wrestling stuff. He it was just he just did not give a f- just like Leon does. <laughs> yeah. I could just see him living in Larry David's house and just just doing whatever the hell he wanted. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, generally speaking, uh, it was uh, it was a good way to end the series. I would say I, I, a couple of one thing. I had a question when the Bulls beat the Pacers and Jordan. There's that shot of Jordan coming in. They follow him into the locker room and he's like, "Yeah, we did it. We never worked so hard to get this." Everybody else is so subdued, and uh, yeah. why was that? Like, no, there was, I, I understand they didn't win the championship or anything, but Jordan seemed pump, pumped, but everybody else was just, I don't know. They I wonder just, if it was several minutes later after Jordan had done all this media. Yeah. Maybe media. they were yeah. chilled yeah, out a little bit, ready to go to the finals again. But he's just like going around high five and nobody was yeah. really standing up and they were just, uh, yeah, yeah, we won. Great. Good, good, good job. Good job. <laughs> we actually saw like a, a fairly animated Jordan uh, it, a couple different times, I thought in these last two episodes, like just a very like jovial, like just sort of goofy Jordan. Like there was that one. Remember, there's that one in in it's in Utah. He's in Salt Lake City, where he's like he arrives. I guess is it practice, right? He is just. Oh yeah, he, he's a mood. <laughs> that's yeah, it. Like, when he's rocking out, uh, wearing the headphones, listening to that tune. <laughs> oh, Kenny like, Lattimore! Kenny Lattimore! Wow. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. This might be the single least cool Michael Jordan has ever looked. Like the way he was dancing to Kenny Lattimore was very funny, and then he's just bragging about having like this uh, low-level R&B soul <laughs> musicians music early. That like you know, 22 years later, everybody's like. Who? Kenny <laughs> Lattimore? And then, like, you go to Apple Music, you look up the 1998 Kenny Lattimore uh, record, and it's like, anything I can do to give you my love. <laughs> like, this is what Michael Jordan is listening to right before going to the finals. <laughs> that makes it so much worse if you're like Reggie Miller or Carl Malone or anyone that Jordan's teams beat you. He's like, oh my God, that's what he's listening That's how he's getting hyped up. That new Kenny Lattimore. He's still ripping us apart yeah that that was there was a couple funny moments with mj i thought in this one jd what do you think of the ending the ending that ending of episode 10 they everybody writes their oh the uh the poem um yeah i would have liked everybody writes writes what they are gonna miss from this run because it is the last dance so all the players have to throw in uh something on a piece of paper into a fire as Phil Jackson turned out the lights and and lit that fire and MJ wrote a poem but we never heard the poem we never heard the poem yeah unfortunate Um, 
has anyone actually uh, written a poem and put it up on Twitter just to, you know, just to, to speculate, just to see <laughs> what, when roses are red, violets are blue, that kind of thing? Uh, yeah, Mina Kimes actually had a hilarious tweet. I'm going to try and find it while we're uh, we're talking here. Yeah, nice. roses are red, losing is hell, I'm the goat, F you, Scott Burrell. <laughs> yeah, perfect. I mean... Yeah, it would have been yeah. nice to know to hear what the poem was or what the other thoughts of the guys were. And this is this is this is typical uh, Phil Jackson, from what I understand. Like he's a bit of a hippie, and oh, yeah. and you know, uh, and sure, it was a nice close. And it, they, the way that the director visualized it, I mean, Phil Jackson describes a coffee can, but uh, it, it's this majestic burning uh, vase, or it's a can, but it looks way cooler than it probably actually looked mm-hmm. in real life. Uh, and I liked the shots of Jordan just sitting there with the longest cigar of all time. Oh, my sticking God. Out of his mouth. It's getting longer and longer every episode. <laughs> it seems to. <laughs> that's how the documentary opens. smoking it. That's how the documentary opens. Yeah, too. that's the, true. The same so stick I lo- that he's smoking. I, I love a bookend. I love a bookend. So, uh, yeah, it was good. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting. I think uh, it was Steve Ashburner that did point this out. Um how there wasn't a ton of closure on Jerry Krause, like, within this whole thing. I mean, he was painted as the villain very early, and then Reinsdorf picked up that mantle a little bit later, as we already discussed. But do you think it's possible they edited in, because we know these last two episodes especially were edited fairly last minute with the whole, like, pushing up of the schedule because of the pandemic to air this thing, that they put in Scottie Pippen's praise of Krause there late in that final chapter, um because of the backlash to like people's you know saying hey the guy's passed away and you know you're ripping on him pretty pretty tough you think that's a possibility like just to try and smooth it a little bit because you do get Pippen praising him hmm. I don't know I think, I think it was it more was... of a bookend for me as well like Scotty yeah. Pippen absolutely despised them in the first episode but basically uh it was just a hey come to Jesus Jerry moment I think mm-hmm. at the end really for him just to say love the guy yeah, yeah. Yeah, it could have always been the plan. I guess I'm, yeah, I could be reading into it that it was like, maybe, maybe they're like, yeah, let's throw that in there. <laughs> Might make not so bad. It could not. Um, any more random observations? Um, I only have one more. Uh, I don't know if you guys have any left too, but you know I love a good sign. I pointed out the signs <laughs> we saw in Eddie. Um, we've talked about the uh, legalized camp before um, in the in the last two episodes, prior to last night's. I love the <laughs> bull it's what's for dinner <laughs> giant truck sign that the jazz fans were driving around man jazz fans they were scary there were yeah. a lot of creepy scary jazz fans i mean you, you brought up pacers woman uh, screaming over taco joe klein's shoulder but some of those jazz fans they're showing with the face paint and you're like oh my god yikes these poor yeah, fans i think uh, jordan's boys said that their mum wouldn't let them go out there to yeah. utah those games. for that reason the fans were a bit scary yeah and the other observation i had was another awkward encounter with a huge celebrity after uh, game six uh, <laughs> with, uh, leonardo dicaprio just oh, yeah. uh Fresh off, not the Titanic, which won all those Oscars that year. Instead, it was the the man with the iron mask he was talking about. Oh, yeah. I was watching that earlier. What's it called? Man with the iron face? (laughs) Talk about a great bookend, J.D. We get uh, Jordan right before the tip-off. He's saying, all right, everybody, put your hands in. When we do it, that means all for one and one for all. So not only is Michael Jordan getting inspired by Kenny Lattimore, he's also dropping movie quotes in his pregame hype-up huddles for a movie that's got a 33% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> what if he would have watched literally anything else from 1998? Oh, yeah. What a guy. Yeah, I've never seen that movie. Neither I have I. I have to watch uh, it now. I've, I've seen it. I'd forgotten all about it. I have seen it. It's not very good. It's no, not very, it's not good, very good. No, no. How many no. How many sittings did it take for you to watch that movie? Uh, really? Well, well, I was, it, it was, like I said, it was hot off the Titanic success. So I was right into Leo at the time. So I went to the cinema and watched it. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I think, I can't remember it all that well, but I think it's kind of got a bit of a face-off vibe to it where there's someone really? hidden behind a mask sort of thing yeah that, that's what i seem to recall from it but uh yeah. maybe, maybe it was ironed <laughs> well yeah maybe it was ironed yeah yeah but, uh, yeah leo leo was uh, right at the uh, right at the sort of turn then wasn't he he was becoming a huge star so yeah, he was also he, uh, he was dressed like boston rob yeah i know yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was weird because he's not a boston guy is he i don't think I, he's from boston i have no idea i yeah. didn't think he was but yeah I'm not sure. Any other random observations, gentlemen? Uh, well, I, just... Oh, sorry. One last thing. I, I didn't realize that uh, 
Byron or Byron Russell, whatever you want to call him, Brian or Byron. I didn't realise he was a guy who actually... Uh, it was a tough night for, for him. I didn't realise he was a guy who made the inbounds pass in game six of 1997 with five seconds to go. Jazz only down by two. There's still plenty of time there for yeah. them to at least get a shot off, maybe extend it, maybe even hit the winner. But it's a terrible pass that leads to Pippen sort of tipping it over to uh, Tony Kukoc to seal mm. the game in the series. So, uh, yeah, Russell, uh, yeah, he talked a lot, but um, was on the wrong end of those highlights a little too often for mine. I just think that uh, today Michael Jordan is killing it on the piano. He's practicing after seeing himself <laughs> and, and what the heck happened there at the end of the celebration. He's got to be practicing. It's finally something that... MJ will be emulating Kobe for because Kobe learned to play uh, Moonlight Sonata, Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata. Oh, now, right. Now the, the the table is turned. Now MJ is going to be like he can't watch himself be playing the piano like that and be happy about it. I mean, he's got <laughs> he's got to be on that piano right now. We've we got to we got to find out. I mean, if there's another documentary on MJ, he's going to be tickling the ivory beautifully. I imagine. <laughs> Yeah, a couple of other things that happened in Game 6, 98, that I love seeing. And I wish we would have actually gotten a little bit more of when Jordan wears the Jordan 14. He debuts it for that final game against Utah. They were called the last shot for the longest time. We had that scene earlier in the episode where he's lacing his shoes and, you know, somebody comes in and talks to him like, those shoes going to give you enough grip? I thought that was going to be the front bookend to Jordan coming out with these Jordan 14s. Uh, for his final game, not to be seen. But I also did love that after Jordan plays maybe the best minute of basketball in history, you know, he gets the steal, he gets the shot. They have that long, full-length timeout of him just sitting there in the huddle. Yeah. That was amazing. I do think it's very funny, though, that Jordan was basically not involved at all in the next play that comes after that. It's like a John (laughs) Stockton shot, and he's not the main defender on it. So, yeah, I mean, he was very tired, and he was – figuring out how to finish it off. But as it turned out, he just kind of had to be out there. Uh, But still, I just love seeing uh, just his reactions as soon as he had hit the biggest shot of his life. For sure. All right, before we wrap up the last dance here, a quick word from a few of our sponsors. The Black Tux believes every groom deserves a better experience when it comes to finding formal wear, a suit or tuxedo for their big day. Did you know the Black Tux was actually started by two guys who had one of the worst tuxedo fittings you could imagine? Turns out they weren't alone in this frustration. Just listen to this one-star review from a competitor tuck shop that shall not be named. We felt weird buying a suit from somebody so unhappy. We were afraid his bad vibes might follow us to our wedding day, so we left. What I love about the Black Tux is that they have an easy online ordering process that brings you your suit or tuxedo straight to you. Just pick a style at theblacktux.com and request a free home try-on so you can feel the fit and quality before you commit. And if online isn't your style, the Black's Tux has showrooms all over the country where you can find your fit and plan your look. From there, they'll ship your order two weeks before your wedding so you can check it out one last time. Talk about commitment, Jerry Reinsdorf. Whether you're buying your outfit or looking to rent, you won't find a formal wear experience or designs like the ones you'll find at the Black Tux. Michael Jordan looked great in a suit, but you know what? Sometimes he could have even used a suit from the Black Tux, in my opinion. Anyway, if you want your wedding to be remembered for the right reasons, order your suit or tuxedo at theblacktux.com and enjoy 10% off with code DUNKS. That's theblacktux.com, code DUNKS, for 10% off your purchase. The Black Tux, formal wear for the moment. Uh, You were definitely dressing like... Michael Jordan, back when uh, you were working at the score. I know you shared a clip recently, uh, a Ray Allen clip you uh, did yep. back at the score, Lily. Your pants were very baggy, <laughs> just like Dick Tracy's suits yeah, that MJ was rocking. Yeah. Well, I used to dress like Leo back in 1998 as well, so, uh, you know, I get influenced by the big names. <laughs> if you were to guess, on average, how many days people in the United States have to wait to see a doctor, what would you say? A week, maybe? Actually, on average, people have to wait around 29 days to see a doctor in major U.S. cities. That's basically a month. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of your home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. 
If the doctor decides that treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments, so you can cancel anytime. If you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com slash NoDunks for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash NoDunks for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. Okay, so let's wrap this up. Um, I think the two criticisms I've seen coming uh, on Twitter, at least, uh, you know, taking shots maybe at the last dance, were one to do with them not including anything about um, Jordan coming back and playing for the Wizards and just, of course, calling it uh, after the second 3 P with the Bulls. And then the other part is how his family was not included in this at all, except we saw cameos last night from his three oldest children, um, Jeffrey Marcus and Jasmine. Um, do you think those criticisms are fair, JD? Both of them, one of them, none of them? What's your take on that? Back when uh, they were making the Queen movie, what was it? Uh, what was it called again? Bohemian, Bohemian, Bohemian Rhapsody. Rhapsody. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there, the, Sasha Baron Cohen was involved, and uh, Queen was producing it. And as, as Sasha Baron Cohen tells it, he was going to play Freddie Mercury, which would have been awesome. Um, but Queen wanted to tell the story. They, Freddie Mercury dies halfway through the movie. You know what I mean? And yep. then they wanted to tell the story of what happens to Queen after, right, right up to present day. Well, guess what? Nobody cares after <laughs> Freddie Mercury dies. Sorry, Queen. We love you, but nobody cares after Freddie yeah. Mercury dies. And I think it's the same situation here. I mean, uh, how does that fit into this story? It's called The Last Dance, you know? Yeah. So who cares about the Wizards? I mean, uh, everybody knows it, I assume. So, you know. It, well, if anything, just make it its own documentary. Sure. Why, I mean, why not? Yeah. I mean, uh, there's so many spinoff documentaries that I would love a full documentary about Steve Kerr. Uh, mm. And, you know, I would have loved, from a casual fan's point of view, I would have loved to see what was happening in the West that lead up up to um, the, the, the showdowns between uh, 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 the, the Jazz there. So, oh, even and, J.D. is desperate for basketball. I guess I that. am, Tassie. I guess I am. But, uh, yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't think those are fair criticism. And his family. I mean, his family was probably like, I, I don't want to be in this. I mean, I was kind of. I was sort of curious about what his. I mean, I don't know anything about his family situation. I was kind of curious of it, and it was maybe weird that we we never saw him with his wife or children uh, during that time, and he just seemed to be this lone wolf that that was all about uh, uh, playing basketball and uh, sitting in a hotel room with the, with a cigar and a television and a piano. But, um, you know, I mean, I guess it's their decision not to be in it. and Or Jordan's decision right. for them not to be in it. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Especially, I mean, I think what we're getting at here is it is a, it, it's not disappointing, it's not the right word, but I would have loved to have seen Juanita, his, his, uh, you know, the mother to his, those three kids that we did see, the three mm-hmm. oldest children, who he was married to forever, right? From 86 to 2006, I think. Um, a long time. And then the divorce and all that happens. I mean, we're being told like that no one has ever been as diabolical of competitor as Michael Jordan. Okay, well, let's hear what his wife thinks yeah. of that. Mm-hmm. Um, it obviously probably had some impact on their relationship. And yeah, that, that's the, the one part where you're like, I wish that was in there. But look, if Jordan says, we're not doing that. <laughs> right. um, then I think if as the director or the producer, um, you're going to be like, well, I'd still prefer to have these 10 episodes that are going to be ratings gold. And I guess if he says that's the one thing we can't talk about, that's the one thing, right? Yeah. The one thing that I sort of didn't get out of it that people I've seen some complaints about is I've seen a couple of articles saying, well, Jor- Jordan was a bully. And, and uh, mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't get that at all. I mean... You know, you saw him being a little bit of a dick every once in a while, but uh, I didn't I didn't find him to be this big tyrant. And is is that because that stuff was cut out of it? I mean, maybe 
but I didn't. That's, I didn't inter- get that. that's interesting. I, yeah, because people, a lot of people are saying the opposite that you definitely saw enough of that him being a bully and heard other teammates addressing it and stuff like that. that yeah, was, that they were scared of him. Right, and you know, fair enough, and that's probably the case. But it is Michael Jordan. He is the best in the world. Certainly, the best basketball player. Maybe ever, and and if you're on a team with the best player ever to play the game, I mean, you're going to be intimidated by him. And on the flip side of that, he's going to be frustrated by being surrounded by with by mere humans. You know, like <laughs> it's just going to get on his nerves that you know you can't keep up with them, or and you have to push them to keep up with him. You know, mm-hmm. so. But I, you know, I think that a lot of the, a lot of his, his dickishness may have been cut out, or maybe I just didn't find him to be that much of a dick. I don't know. I didn't find him to be a dick at all. I, it, it, I, I totally agree. I mean, yes, there was circumstantial evidence. Yes, Scotty Burrell, B.J. Armstrong very clearly said it. But I wanted, if there was a criticism, I wanted direct evidence of him being a dick. I wanted more of the. The comments, yeah, there was a one for, for Scotty Burrell who berated him a bit. He, there was one for Kukoc. There was one for Ron Harper. But I think if there was any criticism, I mean, who cares about the Wizards part of it? Uh, but I would have rather seen, you know, more behind-the-scenes footage really is, is my mm. big criticism. I mean, there's lots of things that they didn't go into, you know, like his family. That's totally fine. But, you know, other instances are gambling, his father's passing, mm-hmm. how people were pushing him to be an activist, you know, the Craig Hodges and lots of other stuff they didn't go into because MJ said no, most likely. And he, he just didn't want to go into it. And from from the director's perspective, you, you just can't go into it. But I think if we could have squeezed in some more of the stuff that MJ prepared us for, MJ said, when you watch this, you're going to think I'm an asshole. But people knew that MJ was extremely tough on his teammates going in. And maybe it's because he softened, you know, me going into it. But we didn't really see all that much. So I didn't come out of it thinking he was much more of an asshole than I already knew anyways. I would have rather seen some of all that footage that they talked about in the 97-98 season. Listen, I'm still, I would still want more of this entire doc. There's still more to tell. There's still way more to tell. Oh, yeah. Uh, but there's definitely, you know, they had those cameras rolling. And, and I think... I think there's there's definitely more that was left on the cutting room floor, even from him, you know, berating his teammates and and, and all that kind of stuff. Stuff from that season that they decided to to leave out for one reason or, or another, probably because MJ didn't want it. I thought he was going to come off as way more of a bully as well, because if you've read the books, you've read the stories, you know that he's hard on his teammates, and that's just kind of what it turned out to be, I thought, with all the -the behind-the-scenes footage that we did see was, yeah, he was hard on his teammates, but like you're saying, J.D., uh, a genius leader is going to be hard on their co-workers, right? Like Billy Corgan has a notorious reputation for being impossible to work with in the Smashing Pumpkins, but that's because he has an idea of what the Smashing Pumpkins could be. Jordan had an idea what the Bulls should be, and if you didn't follow it, you weren't going to be on the team because this is my team. Mm -hmm. I thought he was going to come off as more of a dick, but it just came off as this guy is just as intense as as you've always heard he was going to be. Yeah, and when you're the best in the world... You're allowed to be a bit of a dick. The problem is people who will cite uh, Michael Jordan. uh, You know, Michael Jordan never apologized to his team. Michael Jordan uh, was was a dick to everybody because he was the best. And a lot of people who say that are usually not the best at what they do. They're just total dicks. You know, (laughs) like I've worked with a million people like this uh, who who think they're way more talented than they are. But they cite Michael Jordan or, you know, whoever else is uh, or the Billy Corgans of the world. That's infuriating. But uh, if you're Michael Jordan, he he delivered six championships to the Bulls. So. Uh, what are you complaining about? I mean, Kerr Kerr got punched in the face by him. and he, (laughs) He seemed fine with it. I actually can see uh, a comparison to Steve Jobs um, for what Steve Jobs was able to achieve. And and behind the scenes, a lot of people call him a dick, you know, because he was a a genius as well. And he created something and and he expected people to be at his level. And uh, that book that was written about him made him look like he was a real a-hole to people. Yeah, so, it did. Um, you know, I, I think when you're at that level, it's very, very hard to find people who are at your level and you expect everyone 
to be somehow get there, even though, you know, most people can't. So, um, you know, I think the same with Jordan. Like, a lot of guys want to win, and a lot of guys, when they do win, and Pat Riley talks about this, the hunger of more, um, you know, once they win, some guys are happy with that one championship or perhaps even a second one, and not a lot of them have that same hunger and drive to just keep on trying to be the best and to try to keep on winning. But Michael Jordan had that. Um, and, uh, you know, that's that's one thing that does separate him still from a lot of incredible athletes around the world that, you know, he never, ever got satisfied with just winning and, and, and with his place. He wanted to continue to excel, uh, and he was able to. We've got Michael Jordan, Steve Jobs, and Billy Corgan. So if anybody else has a bald <laughs> genius to reference, now is the time. JD, didn't you reference Billy Corgan in an ad read recently? Uh, I as think well? I did. I was talking about my balls. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right. What was the line? It was a good line. Uh, geez, um, I said I was ZZ Top on on the top, <laughs> and uh, on a bender, and uh, uh, Billy Corgan below the belt, queen as a whistle, and full of angst. I believe. Right. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Manscaped. they didn't didn't pay us for that one. Um, And it's clear that no one was as hungry as Michael Jordan because many men were in a room with him. They just ordered a pizza, and they couldn't touch Because he spit on the pizza, man. He spit on the pizza because he's a maniac. But that's where he looked like the biggest asshole to me. He's like, you're going to eat a pizza in front of these guys who take care of you and not even give them a piece? He saved their life. He saved them. Oh, my God. The pizza store only had one one ball of dough left. left. Also... This is what you do next time. If there's, you know, LeBron, listen up. If you're ever in a, another big moment in the finals and you find yourself in Salt Lake City or something, and you need a pizza late at night, if there's, especially if there's five guys at the damn door, open up the pizza. Tell one of the homies right there, hey, have a bite. Yeah. Come on, mm. take, have a slice. Uh, no, no, well, no, no, don't go yet. Yeah, I'll sign something for you. Just have a slice <laughs> of pizza here first. See what happens. See what happens. See, see how quickly they take a bite of that pizza. The other thing is, think about the ordering process. Like, he's like, I'm starving. All right, I'm just going to order a pizza. He's like, hi, yeah, I just want one pizza here. Do you think the other guys are like, yeah, get me some as well, man. Get me At least, at least oh, get yeah, me some yeah. garlic bread, you know? Like, get me something, man. And then... <laughs> some dipping sauce. Yeah, exactly. Drink. You know, can I get a Coke at least, maybe? Oh, well, Tim Grover's probably not going to drink Coke. But <laughs> no way. Don't you think the other guys as well, like, as he hung up the phone, they're sort of looking at each other a little bit side-eye saying, like... Is this like just one huge pizza that he's ordered, or is he just ordered a personal pizza? Andre <laughs> didn't order the pizza. Somebody else ordered. Yeah. Pizza. Uh, well, how did they? How did they know? Then I, I think what. That's why it he... took five guys to deliver it because exactly. it was the biggest pizza you've ever seen yeah. in your life. They well, couldn't that makes get it, it e- through the hallway. <laughs> that makes it even worse than if it was that big and he still didn't share it. You know, yeah. like oh man, what a. So, <laughs> so overall, overall, Lee. I mean, we don't need to grade or anything, but it sounds yeah. like you enjoyed the last dance. And it sounds like everybody on this call, um, you know, liked what they saw over the last five weeks on a Sunday night, especially with no sports going on. Oh, absolutely. It was it was fun. It was enjoyable. It was nostalgic. It was great, again, to just go back and see more Jordan stuff. I would have, I sort of thought we were going to see a lot more behind the scenes stuff. Um, we saw some of it, but I think like last night, for example, was still more of a recap of what happened and the, yeah. and the struggle to get to, you know, winning three in a row. That was more what I felt. But yeah, I mean, Michael Jordan content, you can just never get too much because he is a reclusive guy and he's a bit of a hobbit. So you want to sort of see what he's like when that, you know, when he's not in front of the TV cameras that have been brought cast around the world when someone's got that hidden footage bill wennington release the tapes we want to see them um but yeah i mean it's it was an incredible moment in uh the nba an incredible moment in in jordan's story and uh it was great to sort of go through it with uh you know with him telling the tales even though it wasn't maybe the most objective piece we've ever seen but um it was still fine for what it was i mean it was jordan telling us about his career recapping it and uh and i loved it what other teams dynasties subjects would it be cool uh from the nba world to get a deep dive documentary series on trey is there i mean is it is it phil jackson with the lakers i mean that'd be yeah that to me is uh the next one that you would think would be on the list the shaq kobe lakers just because of the inter-team strife and struggle that that those two guys really uh brought out in each other of course you honestly can't do that documentary without Kobe, which is a tough yeah. part about it, especially in a way that's more like The Last Dance, where we're going into the into the controversies. Yeah, yeah. The big difference there, obviously, is you know, I mean, Shaq and Kobe 
being enemies. I mean, imagine Scotty and Michael were enemies. Imagine what that would have done to the last dance if they were sort of taking shots at each other in it. But uh, obviously yeah. that never happened because, you know, even, even Scotty sort of referred to it or, or um, someone referred to it that Scotty and Michael weren't even that close themselves. Um, but Scotty sort of understood, like, Michael's the, the lead dog and I'm just sort of the, the second in charge. And, uh, and he played that role well, but that wasn't the case with Shaq and Kobe, of course, they both wanted to be the man and, and both uh, thought they were deserving of it. So mm-hmm. that would be a fascinating series. And just again, to see how Phil treated that differently to what he went through with Chicago. Yeah. Well, that's it for us today. Let's hear what you guys think of The Last Dance. It's over, which is uh, sad, though we just found out here before sitting down to record. Um, on Wednesday night, ESPN and on the ESPN Plus app, they're going to do like this, uh, I don't know, this cinematic version of Game 6 of the 98 Finals between the Jazz and the Bulls. Um, so they're, they're going to milk the this 90s for all Bulls comment, or content coming. Like you're saying, Skeets, apparently they're going to show some of the, you know, basically HD footage that they yeah. were shooting back in 98, and those were some of the best scenes in The Last Dance when you're just seeing 90s basketball with 2020 technology. That was awesome, but... The more 90s Bulls content, the better for me because this is the coolest the Bulls have been since we moved back to the States. I've been wearing Bulls gear for basically four straight weeks uh, and not being embarrassed about it, which is a huge upgrade right now. So as long as they're able to keep finding new stuff, new old stuff to put out, I'll keep wearing my old stuff. All right. Um, Again, let's hear from you guys. Did you like the last dance? Things you would have uh, maybe hoped they have done differently? Whatever. Email us, nodunksattheathletic.com. Tweet at us, at nodunksinc. We got another big week ahead, boys. Um, Tomorrow, we're going to record a special up-down report podcast where we will debate some NBA and some non-NBA-related topics. Uh, So that is the up-down report, a special podcast. Wednesday, we'll hit the beach to answer your questions and comments, so get those cues in now. Thursday, we have plans to talk to good old Canadian boy, Ariel Helwani, about uh, his NBA fandom, especially the Knicks. Um, And maybe we'll talk a little UFC with him as well. Why not? I'm sure we'll talk Canada. That'll be great. And on Friday, we got a brand new film session, though we haven't decided on the movie to watch yet. So if you have a suggestion, uh, I don't know, you got a, a day or so to let us know, to pitch your case of what particular basketball movie we should watch for film session. All right, Clipper Bros. You heard it here first. Have a great time. Turn up. Love you guys. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. And remember, Five Guys Burgers has nothing to do with the five guys who delivered a pizza to Michael Jordan. Embrace the day, people. I knew that I